Well, Merry Christmas. It's almost here. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and it's not because, well, it's sometimes because of the presents, but it's not just the anticipation of the presents, and it's not just the excitement that my kids have, although they do, and, but it's the reason I think I'm really excited about Christmas is the fact that I have children because I do not have to sit any longer at the kids' table. I don't know how many of you have different tables at your house. How many of you have split tables at your house? How many of you have a kid's table and an adult table? Don't be shy. There's at least one or two of us. I had to spend a lot of time at the kid's table at my grandmother's house. Now, my grandma's house had these two seating arrangements. And the first was the dining room. It had grandma, grandpa, and all four sons and daughters and their significant others. So 10 grown-ups were gathered around this large wooden table. They had fancy porcelain serving plates and dishes. They had real glasses uh, made of glass that held real wine. And they had silverware that was metal. In the living room, with the TV off, with threats consistently coming from the other room to not turn that television on, sat the kids' table. This, if my uh, oldest aunt was able to come out with her kids, was two card tables pushed together. Otherwise, it was just one card table pushed together with one of the little rubber cap things off the last leg so it was a little off when you'd sit, didn't really matter because it wasn't like our plates were heavy. They were also made of plastic, and we had our plastic forks and knives. So if you tried to use your knife, or if you tried to use your fork as a knife and you know cut down the side, one of the tongs would slip off. And you know because my cousin was, uh, he had a real fondness of slurping his potatoes through a straw, so it interrupted the conversation a little bit. Um, I often didn't catch the little tong thing, and so then I bite it and hurt myself. But, you know, the only downside to the adult table was that the conversation was rather guarded. It was pretty private. Uh, Like, there were certain topics that were off-limits, like politics, religion, and who Aunt Rebecca was now dating. We're married to, we're not sure, but anyway... Uh, it, it didn't always beat out the sounds, the other sounds besides the straw that would come from the kids' table. So this is what I experienced as a kid growing up at Christmas. And, and I think it is actually a pretty good metaphor for what a lot of us come to at Christmas. Over here on the one side, we've got the adult table that I'll just call porcelain. Porcelain Christmas is fancy. It's so fancy that we kind of keep it up on a shelf and we put it behind a a glass door and we might take it out once a year or twice a year to dust it off and then we put it back up there. It's kind of fun to look at, but don't touch. Uh, And if you want to get the best of the best in terms of porcelain, you go or special order Yadro porcelain from Valencia, Spain. This is some of the finest china in the entire world. And uh, see, I've got a few takers on it. They, they would say, they say that their nativity set is probably their crowning achievement. The detail, the colors, the excellence in their work is, is almost awe-inspiring. And the fact that the nativity set costs 
anywhere from a few thousand dollars to several thousand dollars means that you'd probably want to put it behind, uh, well, in my house, it would be several sheets of glass (laughs) just in case. And on the other hand, you have the plastic Christmas. Now, the plastic Christmas might best be described by, you know, the little people set here. The, uh, the little people set is, is a popular one. Uh, the nice thing about the little people set is that it's downright durable, and the pieces are pretty large, so it is very hard to swallow them. Um, I'm sure someone has tried. And um, they're pretty easy to clean, because I don't even want to know how many germs have touched these. But, but the problem with a plastic set is... I hope that shuts off. Uh, the problem with the plastic set is that it's exactly that. It's plastic. Nobody special orders plastic. We consider plastic a kid's thing. We consider plastic uh, disposable. And some of us look at Christmas as just a disposable Christmas story that can't stand up to the questions that we have, the big questions of life, the questions of meaning and purpose, even, even if we're educated. And so as adults often, or as growing adults, we struggle with what to make sense of at Christmas, about Christmas. And the Bible shows us a beautiful third option, one that can, that can satisfy our deepest desires and one that can face and stand up to our most challenging questions. And the first Christmas begins in Luke 2 with this census. In chapter 2, There's not only a census, there's a long journey. There's a long journey between uh, a man and a woman and and an expectant baby. But they're not that old, and and they're not all that famous. And so the whole scene is really rather ordinary. In fact, um, we get this this point in the story where it says that uh, that Mary and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem, but, but when it came time for the baby to be born, she gave birth and placed him in a manger or a feeding trough because there was no room available for them, no guest room available for them. Now, maybe you have a translation that says there was no room for them at the inn. And as a kid, I got to be a part of our church Christmas pageant, whether I wanted to or not. And, um, and I desperately, desperately wanted to be the innkeeper. Because the innkeeper had one line. The innkeeper got to wear a bathrobe or just a shirt because he was behind a half door and no makeup. And he just had to say, no room for you. And that's what I wanted. But instead, I got to be a sheep or a donkey. Okay? And those of you who know me are like donkeys. My mom had to sew fur. My mom painted my face. And I felt humiliated just reinforcing this fact that I wanted this thing to be a kid's story. But scholars would say there's probably not an inn. Most likely that because Bethlehem is such a small town that these people have gone to their relatives and there simply is no room for them to stay. They are maxed out. They go to the second cousin twice removed, maxed out. The only place they can find is that stable, and there's no room for them. That's an interesting 
interesting phrase, no place to dwell. Because see, the very next line in the story is that there are shepherds that are living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their sheep at night. So I would say that where they're staying, there's plenty of room. They're outside. Their rooftop is the starry heavens. There's room there. And an angel appears. It says an angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Again, a pretty common occurrence if you've read the Old Testament stories or if you've listened to someone tell the Old Testament stories. When an angel of the Lord appears, usually the people are terrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Shepherds were people that had no room. They were considered leftovers. They were people that would have been asked, would have been told the house was full, even if it wasn't full. And they are the ones to hear this news that will be for all people for this day, today in the town of David. That would have been their savior's town. That would have been their their anointed king's town. On that day, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, Christ, the Lord. And this will be the sign you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. And the shepherds, looked at each other, but before they did that, there's not just one angel of the Lord. Now there is, it says, that there's this heavenly host. There's this army of angels, this sky. I can't imagine how lit up the sky is. The the stars don't even begin to explain the brightness that they would have seen. It says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And this vast multitude of angels says glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace with those on whom his favor rests. The glory of the Lord is, is, is this phrase that the ancient writers would have used or the ancient people would have used to say God appeared and though we can't see God, he doesn't have a body. He appeared and we have without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know he was here. And so the text goes on to say that the shepherds, when the angels had left, they said to one another, it's a multiple choice, A, super scandalous secret shepherd boy, like the glory of the Lord came, we know he's here. Okay, maybe not that one. B, Why don't we go down to Jerusalem? Go talk to the religious experts because God is supposed to be dwelling in their temple and he's not there. He came out here. He came out to the fields. He came to talk to us. That's scandalous. Probably not that. The shepherds say, let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened. Let's go and see for ourselves. Let's examine it. Let's experience it. Let's find out if it's really true. And this is exactly what they do. And they hurry off and they find Mary and Joseph, the text says, and the baby who was lying in the manger, the feeding trough. And up until this point in history, God's revelation, God's glory, God's presence 
has been just like porcelain. Rare, exotic, hard to find, and, and guarded. It just doesn't seem to happen, and the people can't get very close to it. And yet, it all changes on this night. Now, God had, had ex- given himself, appeared in the past. He appears to Moses, their, probably their greatest prophet. It says Moses was a prophet like none other. In fact, when he talked to God, it was like you and I are right now, face to face. And yet, the text is very clear that it says no one can see God's face and live. You cannot see my face, Moses. For no one can see my face and live, he repeats. Later, God's presence, his invisible presence, was made very real through, through manna, this bread called manna when they were wandering in the wilderness. He, his presence was made known on a mountain, kind of in a cloud that hovered over Mount Sinai. His presence was made uh, in a cloud that was kind of a guiding post or pillar as they wandered through the wilderness. And, and God's presence was made known through, through fire at night. But none of these experiences could ever actually have someone see God until this night. Not a temple, not a tabernacle, a baby in a feeding trough. And the shepherds go. And it says they go to see this thing. And it says that they're amazed. Now, I'm sure the shepherds have seen babies being born before. I mean, they've, assuming they've seen sheep being born before. Even if they haven't actually seen the process of birth, we would still call birth a miracle. I believe they would too. But two rather young people holding a baby really wouldn't be all that spectacular. So why are they amazed? I believe they're amazed because of this idea of the glory of the God in the highest heaven who's revealed. John, the writer, tells us that the word becomes flesh and dwells among them. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the unique Son of God who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then he repeats kind of the same thing that we heard from Moses, echoing back all time. No one has ever seen God, but this one and only, this unique son, Jesus Christ, who is so close to the Father, he has revealed God. In that moment, I believe those shepherds saw the glory of God, the the same glory that they saw in that multitude of of angels singing in the stars, they saw in the manger. They saw in Mary's arms. I believe they looked at his face and saw the glory. I believe they heard his crying and and saw his glory. I believe they even may have gotten to hold the Christ child, the Messiah, the one who would save them. They got to see, hear, touch, and experience person of Jesus. 
It is a powerful moment. And, and one can only wonder if these shepherds were around every spring. If these shepherds actually saw Jesus travel through Jerusalem when he came to the pilgrim festivals three times a year. One can only wonder if they heard him teaching in the random hillside or the mountains or down by the lake. One can only wonder if they were in those same fields, that same Passover, when Jesus was led out of the city, put on a cross, and killed. But we have to wonder, do we hold this story? Do we handle the story? Do we question the story? Do we listen, touch, wonder, and experience it? Or do we think it's just too fancy? Or do we think it's just too much for kids? This is the eternal God coming into time. This is the infinite power of this Holy One in this vulnerable child. This is God in flesh, in weakness, with the ability to sin and yet never does. I think I would have marveled. I hope I would have marveled. But it says, this writer John says, you know, there was a lot of people that missed it. It says he came to his own and his own didn't recognize him. But to those who recognized him, no matter who they were, no matter where they were from, he gave them the right to become children of God. Sons and daughters. People who get to come into God's family, and guess what? In God's family, and I, there's always room. I don't want to be corny, but there's always room. God would have never been an innkeeper that would have said, sorry, no room for you. To those who believe, who hold, who hear, who see, who touch, who question, even doubt. He says, take any shot. I can handle it. At the end of his life, he has a guy who's trying to say, I don't get it. I don't see it. This man, his name is Thomas. He walked with Jesus for about three years. And, and at the end of his life, after Jesus was crucified, they're meeting in a room, they're freaked out. But people have said, he is risen, he is back, he is here. And Thomas just says, hey, unless I feel with my own hands the, the scars in his hands, unless I see those scars, unless I put my hand in the, in the sword mark in his side, Unless I do that, I won't believe. And the next day, Jesus appears in that room. And he says, peace to all of them. And he looks at Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger right here. Put your hand right here. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. There was never, I, I, I just, in all of what I've studied on Jesus, there was not a moment of harshness in that. Because I don't think Thomas was arrogant about that. I think Thomas is like some of us that just have some education. Some of us that really want to relegate this Christmas story over here to kids, or we just want to put it on a shelf because it might mess up our lives. 
Jesus meets us wherever we're at and says, just touch it. Feel me. See me. Hear me. Believe. And to all who believe, God said, there's room. There's room in my family. Come on in. And when Jesus comes in, transforms our lives. It's the most beautiful snow globe experience ever. What's the Christmas gift you're truly waiting for? For me, it was finally realizing that this story could stand up to anything I could throw at it. It was as durable as plastic, but it was as valuable as porcelain. It was God in person, in Jesus. And it's what he gives us. So this Christmas, may you reach out with all of your questions and all of your doubts, all of your wonderings and all of your fears. May you hold them up to him. May you put them in your hand. May you listen in your ear. May you see with your eyes. And may you believe that the word, the eternal God, became flesh and dwelt in.